Well, I'm happy to be introducing our speaker this morning. Uh, Joe Saxton will be with us today and Wednesday, uh, which we're super excited about. Uh, Joe Saxton is a speaker. She's a podcaster, an author, a guest TV host, a leadership coach. She hosts a digital coaching community, and she's the founder of the Azer Collective. These two initiatives are dedicated to investing in women leaders around the world, equipping them to own their voice and boldly step into their calling. Born to Nigerian parents and raised in London, England, Jo now lives in Minneapolis with her husband and two daughters. She loves the everyday stuff like good music, good food, good friends, and, and Target. She really, really loves Target. In fact, I think, is that the reason you came to Minnesota in the first? Yeah. <laughs> Would you give a Northwestern welcome to Joe Saxton this morning? Thank you so much. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. It's lovely to be with you. Um, I'm not from around here. Um, I actually live in Shoreview, but thank you for that whole Minneapolis thing. It sounds so much cooler, doesn't it? Um, I am a Brit. I'm a Londoner, born and raised. I'm a Nigerian. Um, fantastic. It's so glorious. I'm married to a guy called Chris, who is younger than me. I don't know why I'm telling you that. It's just my business. Um, and um, yes, and I have two teenage daughters as well, who are fabulous. Anyway. We don't have much time, and I know that when it's time to go, you're just going to get up and walk out, which is fantastic and all, but I, it means I can't carry on with foolishness. So, um, today, what I want to look at is what it looks like to reset your idea, um, to have a reset. We're going to look both today and Wednesday about a time when Jesus resets the identity and purpose of some of his disciples. There are times in your life when you kind of have to pull back and say, what on earth is going on when it comes to your faith? when it comes to your life, but also when it comes to your faith. There are times in our journey when we have to kind of work out, why are we still here? Why are we still doing this? Is it still relevant? Is it still important? Maybe you've already done that in your life. I remember I became a Christian when I was nine, and at 18, Jesus felt like that childhood friend who you didn't really want to come out with you anymore, because they got in the way. Maybe I was the only one who had friends like that. But I, and I remember saying to Jesus on my 18th birthday, I'm going to do without you for a while. It's not me, it's you. And... Um, <laughs> and we'll, we're just going to have to, there needed to be a re, and, and after a, six months, there was another reset, like, please, can I come back? So um, there was a reset. There was a reset when I went to college um, and had a whole new set of friends, and we learned about prayer and inter- intercession in a whole new way, a reset when we moved to this country, because it's different. English, English, and American English are not the same language. The amount of times people have sworn at me while they thought they were hugging me is real weird. Um, it's It's different. And so what, we, what we're going to look at are times when Jesus reset the journey of his disciples. And because the Bible is not just information and not just entertainment, we're going to ask what it means for our life as well. How might Jesus want, want to reset? We've had an interesting few years. That's the way we describe the 2020s. I don't say Happy New Year in the same way anymore. Now when the new year comes, I'm like, are you the healthy member of the 20s family? Or are you carrying a freak flag like just all the other ones did? I'm just not sure. So, but, but in that... In that, I want to know that God is still God. I want to know that Jesus is still who he says he is. And so we reset. And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 19. But let me set the scene. There has been this amazing time of powerful ministry where Jesus has fed 4,000 families. But he's also had some hostility and abuse and the odd death threat from some religious leaders nearby. It's not great, friends. So he pulls his friends away on retreat to a place called Caesarea Philippi. I don't know what you imagine when you think of retreat. I think of warm food that I have not cooked. 
I think of endless spending opportunities. I don't know why that has to be involved. I think of Target when I think of retreat. If, you, if we've ever seen each other and if we ever see each other again, it's going to be in Target. It's just how it is. When I think of retreat, I think of lovely things. Caesarea Philippi is not a lovely place. It's about 25 miles north of Galilee, and it's surrounded by pagan and Roman temples. The way that um, those spaces worshipped was actually basically human trafficking. You get my drift. And, um, and it was seen as a place where everything that was seen as depraved and evil in society happened. That's where they went on retreat. And in, in Caesarea Philippi, there's a cave which is the mouth and the source of the Jordan River. And that place was where they'd throw all the sacrifices in. And that place was called the Gates of Hades or the Gates of Hell. With that in mind, I'm going to read. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There are three things I want to draw out for our time today. If we run out of time, I'll do the other one Wednesday or something like that. But three things I want to draw out when Jesus has this reset. The first thing that Jesus begins with is a question. And when God's asking a question, it's not because he's confused or insecure. It's not because he doesn't know the answer. But he says, who do, you, who, do, who do people say I am? What are the rumors out there? What are the estimations? They've seen me for a while. They've heard what I've had to say. Who do you say I am? And so he talks about the rumors for a while. And then, and then Peter is like, pick me. I know, I know, I know who you are. You're the Messiah, son of the living God. And it's, odd, it's an odd question Jesus asking these disciples who followed with him, who've seen these miracles, who, are, who have kind of walked with him for some time. They'd say, who do you say I am? But it's important. It's a question that you and I have to ask ourselves. Who do you think Jesus is? Who was, maybe he's the person you inherited because your parents told you this is the way we do this. Maybe he's the person, maybe you know him as Lord, but you don't know that he's your friend. And it's important we work out who we think Jesus is because we don't live beyond what we believe to be true. So if you know Jesus is your friend, but you don't know him as your Lord, it gets awkward sometimes when he thinks he's in charge. If you know him as your king, but you don't know him as your friend, then it's just like, oh my gosh, I best just be afraid of you and don't know that he comes alongside you. Do you know that he's a savior, but he's also everlasting father? Wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace. Turns out those things are for life, not just for Christmas and Advent services. Who do you know him to be? When I was at um, college, one of my friends, came, she kind of stormed in one day and said, I'm done. I'm done with Christianity. It was quite an announcement. Um, I'm done. I'm fed up of it. And, and we asked her why. And she said, well, I was told <clears throat> when you came to know Jesus, all your dreams came true. And that you'd be happy and feel good about yourself all the time. 
And that's not happening. And I said, oh, honey, that was Disney. That wasn't Jesus. That wasn't... But it's what she was told. You see, England doesn't do this and um, doesn't do church in the same way. So I think probably in the kind of desire to hook them in and bring in the young people, we kind of just switched that a little bit with the information. Showed them the demo, maybe. Showed them the good times. And now when the hard times came, she didn't know that God would carry her through. And she was incredibly disappointed. And it took her years to find, to rediscover. And so it's important for you and I to ask ourselves, who do you know? And not in some weird, shamed way. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. But to ask ourselves, do you know the fullness of who he is? Do you know how good he is? Do you know that he's not just willing, he's also able? Do you know he's kind? Do you know he's strong? Do you know him for yourself? Or is he the rumor of what you've been told here or in your family or what your friends say? Have you met him yet? Do you need a reintroduction? Is it time for a reset? You see, Jesus asked that question in the face of the gates of hell, in the hard space. Do you know who he is? And it's a weird one, isn't it? To think, to think that one through, but it's an important one for us. So that's the first thing I want to ask you. Who do you think Jesus is? You don't have to answer to me now, but it's something for you to consider. Like I said, Peter, the one who always goes in, he's just one of those people who can't hold himself back. He can't wait for someone else to have a turn. Peter who goes in, I know who you are, I know, I know, I know who you are, you're the Messiah. And on one level, it's just like Peter has some social skills. But actually, it's a big deal because for us, when we read between the Old and the New Testament, we just turn a page. For the people of God, it's 400 years. 400 years of silence wondering whether God was going to show up. Generation after generation, living under oppressor after oppressor after oppressor, wondering if God was still real. And so now Peter sees this God at work and he's like, I'm ready to call it. I'm ready to say who you are. This is an amazing moment. And then Jesus responds like this. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And it seems a little off for it. Well, not off, just odd. It's like, I have this big revelation about who you are. You give me a new name. Read on. And unless we look into the text and look into the context, we might miss the significance of this moment. The name Peter in the Greek is Petros, meaning little rock or pebble or stone. And um, the word for rock is Petra, meaning foundation, boulder or big rock. And in the Bible, we see again and again in Deuteronomy 32, in 1 and 2 Samuel, in the Psalms, that the one who's described as the rock is God, the Lord. What's happening here is a moment of covenant. So he's, he's been given a new name as an expression of their new relationship. Covenant is all throughout the Bible. We see it in the Old and the New Testament and, and in the culture of the day where a stronger party, in the Bible's case, God would enter a relationship with the weaker one. In Abraham's case, it happens with Abraham, David, Noah, all over the place. But in their case, you'd cut a cow in half. <coughs> Excuse me. It would be messy if I coughed on you, so I'm just going to step back. Um, they cut a cow in half and there's a corridor of blood and on God's on one side, Abraham's on the other, they cross over and it's this covenant relationship. But what happens in that moment is all your debts, all your old identities dead in the blood. All that you used to be, all your fears, your, your insecurities, the enemies, now your stronger party takes hold of. And when you enter a covenant, you're given a new name because it says you have a new identity. 
It says that you're a new person now. You're not who you used to be. You've been transformed by God's impact on your life. I don't know who you're named after. The culture I'm from, um, we do names. I have many names. My children have multiple names. They have Nigerian names because Nigerian. They have British names because me and my husband, my husband's a Scot. They, all it, and it's, it tells their story. Your names tell your story. They're not just titles. They're an essence of who you are. I know many of you are named after somebody in your family or your cultures do the same thing. That's what's happening here. God, Jesus is saying something, that you have a new identity now because you've seen who I am and we're in this relationship. I wonder if you and I know we have a new identity now because of this relationship. We've sang it that he knows our name, but I want to ask you, who's naming you? What's naming your life? We used to um, have this nursery rhyme. Why are nursery rhymes so weird? They used to have this nursery rhyme we used to sing, and I, and I hear it's here as well, like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's such a lie. Such a lie. Give me a stick. Because if you've got a stick and I've got a stick, we'll go stick to stick. Yeah? We'll see you in... When I do things like that, my kids are like, please stop. Give me a stone, though, and I'll either have to run or throw a stone, but a word that someone says to me, and you accompany it with ever or never, you're never going to be this, you're always that. The words that people say have a way to get under your skin, into your head, embed themselves in your heart, and you spend years, or you could spend years reacting, responding, hiding from the thing you're scared is true about you. I wonder what's naming you, whether it's the words that people have said that, that have named you. Maybe it's the circumstances. You see, these past few years, the freak flag years, have shaped us in incredible ways, changed us. Maybe we're more anxious than we used to be. Maybe we, we don't believe in our prayers as much as we used to be, as we used to because we've been named by them. What's naming you? And is it naming your understanding of God? Or it might be experiences. It might be experiences that have named you, that have defined you, and as such, defined your relationship with God. And it can be a journey to find your way back. Um, one, I'll give you an, an example. So my, my father, this is not shock news. This is really common. I've talked about this billions of times. My father was never really involved in my life. I met him when I was 12. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't one of those run to each other and hug type situations. It was, where have you been? Um, and then I met him at 15 and 16. So I was defined by his absence. I was named by his absence. And so when I became a Christian at nine, Jesus sounded phenomenal because Jesus. The Holy Spirit sounded like magic. I'm like, I'm nine, I'm in. Um, but the idea of God being the Father was felt like a bit of an insult, to be honest. It felt too hard. And when people would say, you know, in that kind of Christian platitude sense where someone's trying to shut a conversation down so they'll say something that sounds spiritual but is actually meaningless, um, they would say things like, oh, well, God's your father. And, and I'm like, that's great, but I don't know what that actually means. I've never had that. I've never encountered that. I was named by the fatherlessness. The way I related to people, the way I was always really defensive, was all defined by the things that had named me. And then a number of years ago, in my late teens, I went to this church in our neighborhood, and it was, part, you know, it was one that all the kind of young people used to go to. And the worship was amazing, and the teaching was great, but the reason why I was there is the drummer was really good looking, and he didn't know it, but I was his destiny. And that he just needed to see this, and there would be a wonderful testimony of God's goodness. And so Operation Destiny's Child was born. And... Um, 
<laughs> and, and the plan, the plan was this. I would help him pack up his drums. <laughs> I, and he would look into my eyes and he would just know. And that would be wonderful. There'd be a testimony. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> testimony. Anyway, I, I, I believe in preparation. I thought I'd prepare. I got dressed for the occasion. That's all I'm going to tell you about that. Because anyway, thankfully we didn't have digital cameras back then on phones and things. So anyway, that's gone. It's in my memory what that looked like. And I thought I'd get myself my makeup. But here's the thing, friends. I'm just going to be candid. This was the 90s in England. And the makeup was really backwards. There wasn't Fenty then. There wasn't Mac. Now, once you go Mac, you don't go back. But then you had two options. You go big or you go home. So I went big. And so big that my face would enter the room before I got there. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, <laughs> because I wanted to be seen. I am nothing if I'm not total. I am a lot. I am a lot. And I give a lot, but I am a lot. And so, and so I bring a friend with me, and she's not going to get in the way or anything. That's the I chose who, I don't know what that means either, but yes, <laughs> I got a friend. And the plan was, and, and I didn't want to seem too keen. You know, you don't, the worst thing you can do when you're single as a Christian, allegedly, is to seem desperate, apparently. So I decided, I don't want to seem desperate. I'm not going to sit on the first row. So I went on the second. And then, right in front of the drums. And the plan was this. The plan was this. <laughs> Pack up the drums. He'd see me. I'd see him. Bam. So. <laughs> anywho. So. So the worship is amazing, and the rhythms were just awesome, and I'm moving my hair around, which is awkward because it's an afro and it's not moving. And, um, <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's wonderful. I look wonderful, but still, seriously. And the teaching is way too long, but I am prepared to contend for my miracle. And then just as Operation Destiny's Child is about to reach its height, <laughs> somebody steps forward. And the, the team had been praying beforehand and they'd been praying and it was the kind of church which used to pray and, and like, listen, is God saying anything to us today and that we need to pay attention to? And so and the woman, she comes forward and she says, yeah, so we've been praying and all of us have had this same sense as we've prayed that there's, there's somebody here tonight who's never known a father's love. I know. Um, who's never known a father's love and, she, and it's a young woman and she's never known God's love and she's never known her father. And she's wondered if God loves her. And as a result, she can't relate to God as her father. And so as a result, she kind of holds him back at a distance. And as we prayed, we felt God was saying that he's seen you, he's always seen you, he loves you, and he wants you to know he's your daddy. Well, it wasn't that that happened, that was weird. I've been to that church many times, that, that kind of stuff happened all the time. For those of you who have lived with something that has named you for a long time, tomorrow's just another day. So you don't cry about it or anything because you're used to it. It's your normal. Pain has become your normal, whether it's your father not being around, your family situation being a mess, whether it's your self-esteem, you're used to it just being the same. And I heard somebody crying saying, I want a daddy, I want a daddy, I want my daddy, I want my daddy. And I realized the person crying was me sobbing and sobbing, and then someone comes out and starts playing the keys and playing this gentle song, you know, the kind of song that makes you feel worse, and playing and playing. And, um, and then I'm sobbing, because, and I don't feel embarrassed or exposed, but I hadn't grieved this loss for all, all my life. And as, as, as she played 
she got louder, and I, it's a good time to tell you I'm a bit competitive, so so did I. And she's playing, and she's getting the rest of the, if the rest of the band could come and join us, please. And, and I'm like, I want a daddy! <laughs> and at some point, this wonderful, kind couple, and I think one of them had a, had a cloak on, and gave me it, and wrapped me in it, not for my comfort, but for my cover, and dragged me out. And so the last, I haven't been to that church since. The last, it's been 30 years, the last anybody saw was me saying, I want a daddy, I want a daddy. Can I tell you that boy never called me? Can I just say? And I, when I met and chatted with the pastor, he said to me, he said, you know, it's time, let's, it's time to give this, the things that have named you over to the Lord. And I remember praying and then afterwards feeling embarrassed. I don't know why I was embarrassed when I got dressed, but anyway, feeling embarrassed. And I said, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get how this changes anything. And he said, you know, the great thing about God being your father is it's his responsibility to get it through to you. And I say that to you and I'll land with this. I don't know what's named you. I don't know the words that have been said over you or spoken to you or the relationships that have defined you, the hurts. I don't like to be so patronizing as to assume that pain is for grown-ups. Also, you are grown-ups. Um, I don't want to assume that that happens when you leave college. You guys have lived lives I can't even fathom how tough they've been, how complicated, how complex they've been. But this I know. You have a God who not only knows your name, he gives you a new one. Who not, who not only knows your identity, but has entered into a covenant relationship with you. So he can take on all the things. And this time it's not the blood of a cow, it's the blood of Jesus. This time it's not the scars of covenant, it's the scars that are in his hand and his side. And I want to simply invite you, as you reset, ask yourself, who do you think this Jesus is? But also I invite you to get to know a God who can change your life, who can change your story who is not just an eternal life insurance policy, who isn't just so that you be a better Midwesterner, but is one who will transform you so that the things that have wounded you aren't transferred into every other part of your life. And so I went from being named by, God's abs by my father's absence to being named by God's presence. Instead of being named by nothingness, being named by the things that God said about me in his word, to the point that even that relationship so broken was restored. I won't get to the rest of the talk because you guys have got to go. But I will say this, it's time for a reset. It's time for a reset. Invite Jesus to show you who he is once again. And the things that have named you, the words, the circumstances, the situations, I encourage you, I urge you, bring them to him. You're not too much, it's not too late, it's not too far. And it might be a journey. Alongside the prayer for me, there was therapy, there was help, there was all kinds of things I needed. And I'm not embarrassed to say it. Why? Because I'm free. But don't, don't leave it too late for that stuff. God wants a reset with you now. Let me just pray for you and I'll send you on your way. Lord God, I want to thank you for these gorgeous peeps. And I thank you that you know their name. I thank you that you've always seen them, that you've always loved them. I pray that they would um, rediscover who you are and whose they are as a result and that the things that have named them, that you'd redefine and transform so they would know that they're new because of you, that if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old really has gone and the new has come. We ask this in your name, amen.